Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Poolside Perspectives Podcast. I am Kevin Woodhurst, and with me is my good friend, Mike Farley, and we're so glad you found this podcast. Together, we have been homeowner advocates in outdoor living and the pool industry for over 30 years. So we understand the challenges you face creating your backyard paradise. We know your curiosity is not enough to ensure your success. So on this podcast, we're going to talk about the design process and practical steps to help you create that space. We'll have some fun mixed in with it, some aha moments, and this is no fluff. No one has time for that. So we're going to get serious and get very particular about all of these topics. Whether you are a new homeowner with your first remodel or a seasoned homeowner competing your last dream home, we are here to help you end up with what you dreamed of. From pools to patios, pizza ovens to pergolas, porcelain to pumps, pool party to permits, ping pong tables to the processes to your paradise. This is straight talk and action steps. Let's get started. All right, good afternoon, everybody. We have got a great episode ahead of you for today. We are going to talk about hiring designers. But first, I got to ask Mike about his trip to Las Vegas because Mike was in Las Vegas last week. I was supposed to go, but ended up not being able to go due to a medical issue. But it is what it is. And I'd like to hear about your findings in Vegas because I know you're there all the time. I never go to Vegas except for the pool show. That's not my town, really. But I was there for six days, which is the longest I've ever been in Vegas because we took some advanced classes, advanced design class, which was two solid days, eight hours a day, which was Really great group of people all trying to do some cool stuff. Then the show started, and what the show is basically several football fields of booths all showing all kinds of different things, everything from hot tubs to fiberglass swimming pools to lazy river equipment to one of the cool things I found was a surfing apparatus that you could put in your pool, which would create a wave that you could actually surf or boogie board on, which that that was pretty cool. This is the International Pool and Spa Show that's done annually. Correct. And has things from all over the world, manufacturers, suppliers, vendors, everything. So anybody that's in the pool industry probably, hopefully, would get to the show once in a while, if not every single year. Oh, it's just a a tremendous resource that you're going to look at everything from new tiles that may be available to deck materials. I'm looking around for little details like new deck drains that I could use that might be more visibly pleasing but still functional to everything from saunas and hot tubs. And the cool thing, the new thing this year was the cold plunge. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you saw this year that maybe you saw last year in smaller quantities, but now are all the rage. Yeah. So last year I was looking for cold plunges because I had two clients that were looking at installing cold plunges last year. And I found three on the whole floor. And they were basically in hot tub manufacturers booths that had basically hybridized it so they could do some cold situations. This year there were probably 40 different cold plunges I found. So we're seeing cold plunges go more mainstream now. Yes. So it's great for people. It's a very strong thing with wellness. There's a lot of advantages for that particular piece of equipment. And there's a lot of people that manufacture a lot of different things, everything from real simple ones to pretty exotic stuff. So anyway, you're just looking and turning over rocks in there, trying to find resources that may address needs that you have now 
or needs that you don't even know that you have that a client may come to you in two years and be like, have you ever seen anything like this? And you're like, hey, I've seen something like that. As a matter of fact. Let me go pull this out of my file and see what I've got for you. So for our consumer listeners out there, this International Pool and Spa Show is just for the industry. So you've got to be in the industry to go. So I think that since this episode is about designers, that this is one of the places, one of the resources we have in the industry to go seek out not only new products and new vendors and new ideas, but also education. Very much. And so tell us a little bit about what you did at the show this year. There's a couple of different things. So I taught a class. I was teaching a class the second day. And then I also do a presentation, which is called the Million Dollar Pool Design Challenge, which basically it's a bunch of designers. They all have the same site. They have the same client. And they all get to come up with a solution to see what they can create. And the opportunity for them to do a large-scale project before they have a large scale client, because there's a lot of things that they're not aware of that they may be asked to do. And so they can now see, Hey, here's what I created, but then I can also see what other people in the industry have created and learn from that. When we studied landscape architecture, that's how it worked. You got to see what the seniors and juniors did. Their projects were pinned up on the wall and you got to see all the different graphic presentations and how people did things. And so same exact thing here. We picked five finalists. The five finalists get to go to the show and then in the class decides on the winner and the winner got $10,000 Wow! for a design. You nice. guys are on what, the third or fourth year? This would be year five. Year five. So yeah, I've been following along the last five years. It's pretty awesome. So that was a lot of fun. And then there's classes on everything from wellness to acrylic windows to Here's how you do this type of structural situation. Here's what you do in bad soils. So there's everything from design classes to engineering classes to construction classes. And the first day that I was on the floor Monday, I was in classes for over eight hours. I only had a 30-minute gap during the whole time period to walk on the floor. And Tuesday was a little bit better. And Wednesday was the best day that I had because a lot of people had left. And so it was easy to go around and talk to people, but you're gathering resources. So that's the fun adventure of it. The architects have the same type of thing. Interior designers have the same type of thing. This is just all specialized for the pool industry and, well, and outdoor living. Actually, NADRA, which is the National Deck Association, does it in conjunction with the Pool Association. So you have all these people that create wood decks and structures and that type of thing there as well. Outdoor living stuff. Outdoor living stuff. This is a great segue into this episode because we're going to talk today about whether or not you should hire a designer. And if you are going to hire a designer, how do you decide, how do you choose, how do you pick one? What are some of the things that you would want to take into consideration before hiring one? And what makes a good designer versus one that maybe isn't so good? Because our intent is really nothing but positivity, but at the same time, we want to hook up our consumers with a designer that's equipped to be able to handle your specific design. And so there's going to be different levels of designers. And there's going to be times probably, Mike, when a salesperson is all you need. They're just going to give you a basic pool and three feet of deck around it. Or maybe you want a basic pool, but you really want to deal with somebody that's maybe been around, that's gone through educational programs, that has a better idea so that you'll be more informed and more educated when you go through and decide to make this 
pretty good size investment, correct? It's a big investment. So mm-hmm. everybody says it's the second largest one unless you've got some really exotic car. Very exotic. You I'm know. a car guy. Very exotic. Yeah. So McLaren, so the Formula One race was immediately after the pool show. So we all left town very quickly as they descended upon Las Vegas. Yeah, I think somebody or some industry is descending on Las Vegas probably just about every day. That's probably true. Place to go for there. So, Mike, tell me a little bit about your perspective as far as hiring a designer, how you feel about it, what you think maybe helps a consumer. If you're looking for a designer, what are some of the things you would suggest that they do? What are some of the questions that they would ask? What kind of homework can a homeowner do to ensure that they're getting matched up with the right person? And really, what are we talking about when we're matching up? We're matchmakers. You said that earlier in yeah. the whole process. So right. the industry has changed tremendously over the last 15 years. And the demands for who's going to create what you put in your backyard have changed drastically over the last 15 years. I mean, when I started in the pool industry, we were asked to design swimming pools. And basically, that was it. Nobody built outdoor kitchens or fire pits, or cabanas, or lazy rivers, or any, none of those things. It was just basic swimming pool. And you went to your pool contractor because most people could satisfy what you're wanting to put into your backyard. There wasn't a whole lot of tremendous challenging things or creativity that went into it. It was basically the swimming pool that, you know, you had some design maybe involved, but it wasn't critical. Because most people had an idea of what they wanted in the first place. Now, since the invention of Pinterest and Instagram and the internet, which all have occurred since I got into the pool industry. Yes, they have. Okay. The perspective on what people are wanting to do has changed drastically. And corresponding, the pool industry's educational process has changed somewhat along that same timeline. So I don't know which one influence the other or if they went simultaneously at the same time, but that has changed. And so there's more things available for you today, but you still may want just a swimming pool. And if you want just a swimming pool to reach it. So what most people do when they start this process, all they think about is calling the contractor and the contractor is going to send somebody out to help me develop this project. The challenge is It depends on who's doing that. If you have a bunch of people that have an average skill set, that's basically what they're going to be able to produce for you. And if that's what you're looking for, nothing crazy, then that probably will fall in line. The biggest thing I would say that would be helpful in that process is you still want to do what's best for you. And so it helps is if you get somebody that comes out and asks a lot of questions. Sure. So... If the person that comes out to attend to you comes out and takes your order, what I call an order taker, what would you like, Mr. or Mrs. Jones? And you say, I want a pool and a spa and a diving board and maybe a water feature. And I don't know what else. And they're like taking those notes. They're like, okay, I'll get you back a design. That's an order taker. Right. They're going to give you exactly what you asked for. Nothing more, nothing less. The problem is basically most people... They've never built a pool before. All they're aware of is what their friends have done, which their friends went through the same process, so they don't know what they're getting with their pool. So it's disappointing for a lot of people later on after they finish a project. They're like, 
wait, what's that over there? I didn't even know that existed because nobody gave me that information. So if you have someone that comes out and asks questions and tries to understand what you're looking for and maybe presents you with some different options, then that person can help you build a nice basic swimming pool. And then you're not going to be disappointed later on because you weren't informed about something because they gave you all the options. So I think the first thing that you're looking for is someone that's going to ask you a lot of questions about your project. And so what we're talking about when hiring a designer is you're paying somebody to do a set of plans for you or a design conceptual plans, at least provide you with information, maybe, you know, a sheet that's got specifications on it, materials, all of this stuff. So that you've got a good composite or mosaic, if you will, for getting an estimate if your intention is to bid it out with multiple companies, correct? Okay. So when most people have a designer come out, they're going to create a design. Mm-hmm. The first thing is... Who owns the design? Do you, the homeowner, own it or does the designer own it? So if you didn't pay anything for it, it's not your property. You can't take it, in my opinion, ethically, take that design and give it to somebody else for them to do a bid on it. We know this happens all the time, though. We do know it happens, but with the consumer, a lot of times the next guy comes along and he says, hey, do you got a copy of a design? Okay, so as... That guy hasn't put any time and effort into it. And there used to be companies I know that used to say, hey, call Claffy Pools. They do good design work because they weren't going to do the design work. They wanted to take my design and then go bid it and then try to undercut me what we're doing. Because what it didn't come down to is the general drawing or the shape. Because I can take the same drawing and shape and have $200,000 difference in cost. Sure. Okay, what it boils down to and what a lot of people don't understand is it's the specifications that make the project, okay? What are we specifying for all the hundreds of choices that are made throughout the project? I got a set of plans today, okay? Met with a client. He's, I'm going to get three bids. I said, that's your opportunity. These plans are yours. You paid for them. Sure. Okay, from a landscape architect. But there is not a single specification on this. Doesn't talk about tile, doesn't talk about finishes, talks about no equipment, doesn't talk about any of the things structurally that are needed on this pool. Nothing. Was there a scale on it? You had would have to do a takeoff? Okay, there was a scale. Mm-hmm. It was a conceptual plan, which I think is our word of the day. Yes, we'll get back to that. Okay. It is a conceptual plan that was to scale, but That doesn't get you something that's biddable. And quite honestly, you don't understand even what you're getting with just a conceptual, even a conceptual plan and a 3D rendering. You still don't understand what you're getting until you get a set of specifications. Correct. So what do you own as a homeowner? If you haven't paid who created this document fee, it's not yours. Now, once you pay that person a fee for it, You've paid for the design work. You've paid for his time. Now you own the drawing, and then you could take the drawing and shop that drawing. So in my opinion, the best use of a consumer's time is to find someone that has the skills to create what you want. Pay that person to create that. Pay them for the set of specifications. Now, quite honestly, if he's really good at or she's really good at what they do, they may be the person that you want to work with throughout the whole process. All the way through. They have knowledge. They understand it. They have the capability. 
they actually brought all these things to the table. And so then there's some accountability from the designer all the way through the construction. And I'm going to say, so step back a second. We pulled a reference group for this episode. Oh, we have a reference group. Yep. So we have different perspectives. Yes. Okay. Not this just, is all about perspectives. Just not me and Kevin talking here. <laughs> but the number one thing that all of them said is when you have a designer, you want someone that's going to deal with you all the way through the process. Absolutely. Okay. And so what does that mean for you? That means they understand the construction process. They're not going to sell you something and be like, okay, see you later. Good luck with everything. I'll come by afterwards and take a picture of your pool, bring you a welcome to swimming pool basket or something like that. Someone that's involved throughout the whole process means they walk on your job site after the holes dug. So they actually understand how things are built to some extent because they're out there. They're usually curious weirdos like me and uh, me that show up and take pictures. So my shoes are muddy most of the time, unless it was this summer and it never rained. But anyway, they like to see how things are built. So that person is going to be much better for you than a designer that sells something and then is done. Let me just clarify something here to our listeners. Yes. Because this episode is a lot about whether or not you should hire a designer. And Mike and I want to at least give you an idea of what a designer looks like to both him and I. Now, him and I have both been in the industry for 30 years. We both have gone down the educational tract, Mike substantially more than I have, but I have a ton that I've done in the past. But when it's all said and done, we're trying to help you understand the difference between a designer and a salesperson. And there needs to be salespeople. And Mike and I were once new to the industry. So we want to recognize the newer people that are in the industry and certainly not step on anybody's toes. But if you're spending a substantial amount of money, are you going to want to pick a designer that's accustomed to doing those kinds of jobs? Or are you going to pick somebody that maybe this is their learning curve, this job? And that's really it because there's great salespeople out there and there's great designers out there. But you as a consumer getting your first pool or even your fifth pool, unless you have a fundamental understanding of what you're going to get, you're kind of shooting in the dark. Because to your point, and we've talked about this before in other episodes, you call five, six, seven, eight different companies, you get five, six, eight different designs, eight different sets of specifications in a language you have never seen before, or maybe have very limited access to. How do you take all that information and make a decision? We're trying to make this decision easier for you, but at the same time, there's just a process to going through. And I believe like you, if you're going to do this and you want to really do it right, hire a designer, pay somebody to do your plans. How do you find that person? That's the million dollar question. And to the point, every industry is going to have new people come into it. Right. Every industry is going to be around for a certain amount of time. Every industry is going to go through its protocols of growth and everything else. Our industry in 30 years has been turned upside down. In the last 15, it's even more so. Yeah. So we have an industry that now is not just doing pools. We have an industry that's doing pools, outdoor structures, outdoor kitchens, outdoor entertainment areas, complete landscapes, hardscapes. I mean, you name it. There's a ton going into these backyards, and that's where we're talking. If that's your backyard. True. And I think what you were stating earlier is if it's a simple type situation, if you have a salesperson that asks you, Lots of questions. I think you can get where you need to be. Okay. 
But then the question is, when you start getting into more complex things, the skill level that's required to do those gets more and more challenging. And the challenge is also there's fewer and fewer people that know how to do those things. There's certain things that you could look at, which I just think we need to run by you to think about. Are these good resources to consider? So first of all, years of experience. What do you think about? I've been in this industry 15 years, therefore I'm pretty good at what I do. Well, I think that might be the case, but it also might not be the case because I've known people that have been in the industry for a long time and they still haven't really learned a whole lot because they're just in it for a job. And that's fine. That's how they're wired. But I live and breathe and think about this stuff 24-7. This is my life. And as pathetic as that might sound, I have loved the industry the entire time. I just, this is fun. So you're trying to tell me that there's some people that just, we've done it for the last 15 years and it worked, so we don't need to change anything? I know that's exactly the fact. Yeah, so we still use the big pipe, the inch and a half? Yeah. From a hydraulic standpoint, that's a bad joke. A very bad joke. But if you don't understand the industry, you may not understand what I was trying to say. But there's some people that, especially they grew up, their parents were in the industry, they've been in the industry, and they've been doing the same thing for the past 30 years. And they might do a really good job, but how does a consumer know or understand that? So it could be they've dealt with very basic. If they've done it for Mm -hmm. 30 years, they weren't doing crazy stuff 30 years ago. True. So if they're still doing as basic could be, that's fine, but don't try to put that basic plumbing into a perimeter overflow pool, you're going to have a train wreck. Okay. So experience could be beneficial, but not necessarily. It's definitely beneficial. Okay. Because if you've been around that long, you've seen a few things. Okay. What if we talked about awards? I'm an award-winning pool designer. Yeah. Okay. So does that make me qualified to do what? I think it's a nice little check mark on a checklist that you've won some awards. So... Would it have more weight to have won one award or 10 or 15? Well, I think the more, the better. I mean, there's some companies, though, that are much better at putting stuff in for awards than other companies. There's some companies that see a lot of value in it. Specifically, the one that we work for sees a ton of value in it. But I know companies that don't see any value in it. They could care less. That's okay. But they can still do a great product. So just saying you're an award-winning company doesn't necessarily say that's bad or good because there are different types of awards. And to me, some of them have different weight. So if you were to ask somebody about an award and they said they won a master's of design from a designer standpoint, that's a pretty high level award because what that award is given to is the people that design the project, not the person that built the project. Okay. And you have to understand those are two different things. There's also what I call regional awards. Florida has an award situation. The Northeast has an awards. The Southwest has one. So there's different regions in the country that have awards. Mm-hmm. Here in Texas, there's eight states in our region. So we have regional awards in February at the Southwest Pool and Spa Show. There's also trade shows. I mean, not trade shows, but trade groups mm-hmm. have, was it? Aircraft. Uh, Aircraft has a big one. Master Pool Guild Guild has another one. That's a buying group, but still that's a decent award if you've won an award through that type situation. So you have the International Pool and Spa Show, PHTA's awards, awards of excellence. So that's a pretty high level because you're competing on a national plane. There's also the Pebble Tech has an awards 
situation that they have. They print a book every year. Yes, they do. And it's a beautiful book. Yeah. So it's great resource Lots of stuff in it. to look at. So there's a lot of different award situations that could give you an idea, especially if someone's done, has a lot of different awards that could say something for their skill. I totally believe that. Oh. Even companies, companies that have won awards, you know, how they display them, you can tell whether or not it's important to them. I think everybody should at least visit the contractor's place of business. That's another thing to take into consideration. Do I think that there's some builders that maybe work out of their garage that do a good job? Of course, there's some out there. But this is part of the whole issue is here's how do you as a consumer who really knows nothing about this get the information that you need to make a decision? How do you find somebody? How do you find somebody? So another thing you could look at is there's people that you go into LinkedIn or something like that that put down the places they've been published in, whether it's trade journals or there's luxury pools, which is a really nice yes, it is. magazine, which is a resource. So that could be one place you could start to start looking. They break different companies down by regions or different states. So you can find people that work in a particular state. But there's people that, if you take Texas, I don't work anywhere in Texas. I just work in Dallas-Fort Worth. DFW. So some people, as designers, will travel some distances. Some people travel to different countries. It just depends on, okay, so we have awards. We have publishing. There's social media. There's education. Oh, okay. I was going to do that one after. Okay. (laughs) So... Social media is where probably a lot of people go today. Oh, without a doubt. Okay. And so they're going to find people that post things. Okay. And typically what you're going to see posting are amazing, beautiful, completely perfect projects. Of course. I don't actually, I do show the ugly stuff. Too. I like showing the ugly stuff too. And when I say ugly stuff, what's important for me and always has been important to me, I want people to understand the construction process because it's not a lot of fun. Nobody has fun doing this because we live in an Amazon world and people can order stuff and it's there the next day and pools take some time to build. And I have always enjoyed being out in the field. And so to your point earlier about having a designer that's going to be out in the field, shoot, I've been on jobs right now that I'm working on that the pools aren't going to be started for months. And I've been to the job site six and seven times. Right. Just checking on the status of the house and just taking another look at things, seeing if there's something I missed or something that we could do better or different, but keeping an eye on these things from start to finish. I get a lot out of that. Social media. There's people that you're going to find on there that are designers, and that's probably the platform that designers have a voice on versus just the contractor's voice. When you look at social media, something also to understand is when you consider a designer is there's basically two camps of designers to look at. So there's one that designs a specific style. This is what they're comfortable with. You look at their work portfolio of work there on social media and you'll see consistency and concept and colors and features and that type of thing. And they're all a little bit different and they all work with the homes and everything a little bit differently, but they definitely have a style that they work on. And you have other designers that are real diverse. And some of the people that I polled said it was really important to work with a designer that has diverse skills. Other people said it's the opposite. You want somebody that's worked in a particular niche and that's their expertise. 
not right or wrong, just different. No. Okay. So some designers find enjoyment out of designing different styles for different settings and for different architecture and for different wants and needs to create lots of different things. So that's what they enjoy. Me as a designer, that's the camp I fall into. I like doing different things. So I, do mean, I. I claim that I've never designed the same pool twice in 30 years. So that's the fun of my job is they're all different. I think you fall in that same camp. But again, yep. everybody's a little bit different. And we're going to be interviewing some designers here in the future. That yeah, We've got some great people coming on. And we've got both types. Mm-hmm. So we've got some that are one way and some that are the other way. So again, it's all different. As you look at social media, that is certainly something you could consider. Although the one thing that I caution with social media is there's people on there, they'll claim they'll design you a pool and they'll never walk on your property. And that creates some challenges in the capabilities, I think, to be fully creative. Completely, 100%. Again, there's two reasons I work exclusively in DFW. One, I go to every site that I design. Two, I go to every site that's being constructed. And for me to do that and travel, I can't do that. I feel the same way. And I like my bed much better than hotel beds. Well, and there's plenty of work here. Yeah. And, and for everybody. Correct. Nothing wrong with traveling and doing it, but to design something and not understand all the things that surround a piece of property, not just on the property, but everything that surrounds the property and the environment that it's setting in. And just to see and feel the space, to me, I can't design a project that I haven't been to. We've talked about this before and I feel the same way. And I honestly just do not think that somebody that has not been on your site that is not intimately aware of everything on your site, you're going to have really good luck in construction. You're just going to have stuff that's going to come up. And that's the point here again is we stay engaged in the project from start to finish. And so when Mike and I develop a plan for somebody, it's important for us to ensure that the collective plan, which is the stuff that came out of your head that went into ours that we put down on paper is coming to fruition and to completion the way that we all thought it would and you can't do that from a thousand miles away or 1500 miles away. I don't care how many cameras you have on the site. It just doesn't matter. There's something very different about being there and not being there. So the challenge with social media is there's a lot of designers that are on there that mm-hmm. are trying to get you to do design work, but they don't do a site visit. So that is something to be a little hesitant on. You just jogged my memory because I was on social media the other day and there's a group of designers on there and that's all they do is just design pools. And some of these people have never been in the field. They have not even been out on a job site. They're doing design work and that's what they are. And for those that are doing that, that's great. But at the end of the day, what Mike and I are talking about is a designer that not only can design the pool, but also knows how it gets built and could build it. Both you and I have spent years in the field managing projects and jobs. So is that an important feature to consider with the person that you're working with, that they have construction experience? I think it's a consideration. If you're just looking for a a pretty plan and, you know, that's what you want, that's one thing. And that's why I think it's important to understand the different levels here and what we're talking about. Here's another thing completely, too, that I was thinking about a minute ago. When you pay somebody to do something Now you have a captive person that's working on your behalf for your design, for your best interests. 
So it's a little bit different than having six or eight people coming out. And they're also working 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 other jobs. It does get convoluted. And that's just the way the industry was built on. It was built on commissioned salespeople working at a construction company, designing pools, selling them, and then moving on to the next sales job. But as we've been talking about, the jobs have gotten so complex and so huge now that it takes a whole lot more to even get into them. So you're telling me that someone that gets paid and only does five projects a month is going to give you a better level of service than someone that's not getting paid and designs 25 projects in a month. Yes, I'm saying that 100%. You really think that he might give you better service? Yes. Or she? Yes. Maybe it's not necessarily better. Maybe it's just more focused attention. Thorough. And thorough. We're talking gobs of money here. I mean, it's at least tens of thousands of dollars, but you and I have done jobs that are hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not even a million dollars. So there's a whole lot more going on. So what you're saying is, as an investment, it makes sense to get someone and pay them to develop this because you would get the best situation. So what would probably have been is the word change order will probably not show up as much. Probably not for sure. So I would say that a good designer, regardless of what you pay, will probably save you that amount in time and change orders and trying to figure things out later on if they've been a very thorough process. I do not doubt at all that they're going to save money by paying a designer to design their project. The other thing to bring into mind here, how much time do you save? If you hire somebody? Yes. You would save a substantial amount of time if you hired a competent person that you believe could do the job and that they were able to deliver. You can save a huge amount of time. So what's your time worth? So... Instead of sitting down with six different contractors that are all going to shoot different ideas at you, and quite honestly, you're not sure which one's telling you the truth. In all honesty, they may all be telling you the truth because that's what they were taught by their sales manager. Sure. Absolutely. That's a very fair statement. The one thing that I have an advantage from experience and being in the pool industry a long time I can speak very candidly about certain things that there's an absolute, there's not an alternative here. You need to do this. That's the only thing you should do. And then there's other things of you can pick A, B, or C. It really doesn't matter. It's just your personal preference, and here's the pros and cons of it. So that's one thing I can bring just because how long I've been doing this, okay, versus when I first started, yes, I had a sales manager that said, this is the only way to do it. And until... I got some education, which you mentioned a minute ago, which I haven't answered your question yet on. So you get education, that's hard to make informed decisions. But once you have someone that has those skill sets, they can save you a lot of time as a consumer. And likely money, because I just firmly believe that money and time have some value to it. The things that you need to know and understand, or at least have and I've said this before too, and this is the way I feel about everything. I have bought and stuff before and then found out later that there was something else I could have bought with it or as part of it that if somebody had told me I would have. That again has always been my premises to make sure that I've laid everything out so that when people make a decision, they can make a decision. So if there is a problem, there's rarely ever been one. It's like, well, 
you didn't tell me about this. No, we talked about this because I'm going to show you this checklist. And these are all the things that we talked about and discussed. And you need to spend some time going through it with your designer. I have a checklist as well, so I don't forget all those things. Because there's a lot of things to consider, a lot of options. Let's go ahead and traverse right into the question of the day. And I think it's a good segue. Actually, we're going to do the word of the day, which is conceptual. So, Mike, explain to our listeners the difference between, say, a conceptual plan and a set of construction plans. It's a good question. And I think this is something that a lot of people understand. So, what I do is I design a conceptual plan. And a conceptual plan is to scale. So, typically, I'm working in one-eighth inch scale of your backyard environment. My conceptual plan is exact in its details. It's not a sketch. It is a hard-defined, dimensioned drawing. So most of the people do this in CAD, computer-aided design. I happen to use a pencil and draw everything. And yes, I know I am a dinosaur in that no, aspect. you're just very good at it. I've been doing it a long time. But then what happens is I turn that drawing over to Megan, and Megan puts it in CAD because that's how we do all of our working drawings, where we're going in the future. But conceptual plan is just that. It is showing everything. It is to scale. I've considered everything from elevations to product to how all the pieces are going to go together. And then what accompanies my conceptual drawing and all my projects is a three-dimensional model. So the three-dimensional model then can help people see what's taking place. But along with that, in my process, the third thing that I think is important is also a set of specifications that specify everything that's going to take place on this job. Because if you hand me just a conceptual plan. Kind of worthless. It's worthless. You can have countless different solutions. And if people pay for a conceptual plan and they don't get a 3D model and they don't get a set of specifications, it's not biddable. You're basically just bidding a shape. Okay, now we've all agreed on the shape of it, what it's made of, how it's made, what color it is, what the materials are. We don't know any of those things. Okay, we just agreed on a shape. That's a starting point, but it's a very low starting point. So a conceptual plan, though, I can communicate to you what we're trying to achieve with the three-dimensional model accompanied by specifications. What works the site visit, because you have visited the site, you've oh. taken pictures, you've done measurements. Oh. So your conceptual plans are going to be relatively close to what you're doing, as mine are. And then the construction plans would be put together by the contractor. The contractor usually puts together the construction plan. Because each one has a different way of doing things. But what he's going to do is now provide, or what my feelings should be provided, and a good set of working drawings, is there should be cross-sections. You basically cut through the middle of something like a cake. To I show how it's built. I cut through the middle of the cake, and now I can see all the layers and all the thicknesses and how all the pieces go in together in the middle of that cake. And that's what you're going to cut through every single different spot that it's different on that project. So it's very clear how all the pieces go together. So once that's done, a lot of times what accompanies that are side views from all four sides of structures. It shows the roof pitch. It's showing all the details of the electrical 
It's showing all the details of the plumbing. It's showing all the details of how all the components that are going into this are done. That's a set of working drawings. Now, a set of working drawings, a good set of working drawings is going to be 10, 12, 15 pages sure. of drawings to show all this. There's going to be a layout drawing showing you how it's dimensioned so you can actually go out in the field and lay this out on the ground so it's accurate. You're going to have maybe a gunite drawing showing how the gunite shell is going to be shot. There's going to be an in four cleaning system drawing in that set of drawings showing where all the heads for the N4 are and how that's dimensioned out. So everything is very precisely laid out. So there's no questions on your drop beam on if it's a tile veneer or if it's a paver veneer or if it's a stone veneer, because all three of those different veneers require a different cap size, okay, which should be drawn accurately on the plans. So the selections of materials even go into how all these pieces fit together. That is now, in a lot of places, sent to an engineer, and the engineer does his work on it. Once it's working drawings and engineer drawings now go to the homeowners association as well as the city to get permits. Some homeowners associations will approve conceptual plans with a 3D model. So what I'm hearing from you, and I would agree, is that a good set of conceptual plans would have enough information on it that you could actually perform a takeoff or do a bid or estimate on it. Yes, but not build from. So There's a difference. There's a difference. Yep. So that's the difference between those two things. So we did have a question of the day also, which I think ties into one of the next things. I think the big thing of going back to the conceptual again is that what happens for you as a homeowner is now you've leveled the playing field. You now have a set of plans, a conceptual set of plans from a designer, either from Mike, myself, or somebody else that you could bid or get other estimates from because now everybody's on the same page. And this is what becomes confusing for consumers is when you are dealing with multiple salespeople or designers or contractors Every last thing that you're getting is different. How do you decipher that? We're trying to make that easier for you, and we want to save you money. So the question going back is, okay, I've got a basic pool. Is it good enough just to get somebody that comes out, It's going to do a design for free for me, that asks lots of questions, or do I pay someone to do design work? So you think there's a right or wrong there? It depends on the person. I mean, I truly believe that in the long run, you're going to save money by paying somebody to develop a master plan for you that will sit with you for hours on end. When you have lots of questions that cares about your particular property, every time I go out to a house, my mindset's always the same. Okay, if I live here, this is my scenario. I've got these three little kids and I'm dealing with X amount of dollars. How am I going to design this? I take it on as if it's my own. Okay, you just said something there that some people may not be aware of. Another plan besides a concept plan, master plan. So when you do a master plan, you're developing not just one little space, you're considering the space as a whole. Yes, let's come back to that. 
This show is all about helping you become a better buyer, a better pool owner, and hopefully you're going to find some insights into how to enjoy your pool even more so, how to help your friends, your family, anybody looking to buy a pool in the future or that want to remodel their backyard, add an outdoor fireplace, fire pit, add an outdoor kitchen area, add some shade cells or whatever else it is. We want to be that resource for you. And that's the end goal here. And we promise that there's going to be a ton of information. We'll try to go through it, you know, as relatively quickly, but also slow so people can understand. But the intent of the show, the reason Mike and I are doing this is because we just got a lot in our heads and we want to share it. So we hope to see you here every single week. Thanks for listening.